Masonic lodges torched in Metro Vancouver. Yeah, but sometimes random people park. The suspicious circumstances and what witnesses caught on camera. He just set the building on fire. Layoffs and confusion. If it's a Friday night and it's raining, we're screwed. COVID rules hit an industry already on its knees. Plus, new video of pandemic partiers getting in one last blowout. And a grocery store worker attacked on the job. The victim hid and then contacted 911. What the suspect said that might make this a hate crime. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. A suspect has been arrested in connection with three separate fires that broke out at Masonic Lodges in Metro Vancouver this morning. And at the third fire in Vancouver, an off-duty police officer confronted a man with a jerry can. It was all caught on video. Our Rumina Dea is live with more on what happened today and what police are saying about the arrest. Rumina. Sophie, police are not saying a lot about the suspect. We know that he was 42 years old and he was arrested in Burnaby. Now, it's been roughly 11 hours since the fires broke out and the Masonic Hall here on Lonsdale is still smoldering. There is a backhoe in around the back ripping up the debris here. Um, The roads are still blocked off. There are several fire crews also still out here. Now, we're talking about three arsons Three Masonic halls hit in roughly 45 minutes. There's speculation about what happened, but a motive has not been confirmed. 6.45 Tuesday morning. Flames erupt at the Masonic Centre on Lynn Valley Road in North Vancouver. Less than 15 minutes later, another fire at another Masonic Centre, this time on Lonsdale. The building engulfed. 30 firefighters attack, the blaze escalating quickly. Our our primary objective is try to contain the fire to the the building of origin and and protect the adjacent properties. Currently, the the fire is deemed to be suspicious. Roughly 30 minutes later, across the bridge in East Vancouver... He just set the building on fire. A third Masonic Centre is hit. A man dressed in black, carrying what looks like a red jerry can, is confronted by an off-duty officer with a gun. Uh, Just one guy, just one undercover cop. He got out of his uh, Volkswagen. Did he, get, uh, did he get the plate? Uh, uh, we got the plate over here. Okay, can you say it to me again, please? He is calling for a backup. He is saying uh, for people to call for backup. And you can't see the plate? No, we cannot. And he is now fighting back with the... Uh, they are fighting. Okay. They are fighting right now. They're fighting? Yeah. Okay, I'm just going to get the plate on the line, okay? Okay, for sure. Should I go? No, no, no. The officer pulls his gun again, but the suspect drives away. He um, uh, did a great job in stopping, um, speaking to this uh, suspect. Um, and, you know, from that, he, he probably stopped um, anything further or anything more serious from happening. A short time later, a 42-year-old man is arrested in Burnaby. Charges of arson are being recommended, say police. You know, as it stands right now, 
We're still in the early stages of this investigation, so we don't have the answers as to the motive. It's devastating to hear that type of news. A spokesperson for the Masons, a private fraternity, men only, with a 150-year history in B.C., says he's not going to speculate on motive. We receive the odd crank call and things of that nature. I can, I can think of nothing. No reason why our organization should be targeted. Now, Dave Goddard, the spokesperson for the Masons that you just heard from, he told me that he saw that piece of tape of that suspect with the, with the off-duty officer, and he says that he does not recognize that man. We know that, uh, as I mentioned, he's 42 years old. Uh, police say that he is known to them. He has a history of criminal harassment, but no name is being at this, released at this time because no charges have been laid yet. Sophie. All right, we'll see what happens with the investigation in the days to come. Ramina, thank you. UBC RCMP are looking for a suspect in a disturbing, unprovoked attack on an Asian woman. Police say the woman was working at H Mart, taking out the garbage just after 8 o'clock on Saturday night, when an unknown man approached her, used a racial term, and then punched her in the head and stomach before running off. It happened in the alley behind the 5700 block of University Boulevard. The victim was taken to hospital for treatment of non-life-threatening injuries and was released. Police say they are not ruling out racial bias or hate for being a motive for the attack. If anyone witnesses something like this, uh, we're encouraging them to, if they have video or if they have a photo, to forward that to your uh, police agency of your jurisdiction. And we're taking these incidences very seriously. The suspect is described as male, tall, with a medium build, wearing a hoodie, sweatpants, runners, and a dark face mask. Anyone with information is asked to call University RCMP or Crime Stoppers. One man has been injured in a shooting in Coquitlam Monday night. It happened in the 300 block of DeCare Street. Coquitlam RCMP responded around 9.20 p.m. and a man was taken to hospital, but no update on his condition. There were also reports of a car fire nearby at Hillside and Coleman Avenue. No word if this incident is connected to the shooting. Police say there is no threat to the public and anyone with security video of the shooting is asked to contact Coquitlam RCMP or Crime Stoppers. Layoff notices are going out to thousands of hospitality workers following Monday's announcement of a three-week shutdown of all indoor dining and drinking. As Richard Zussman reports, there's confusion within the industry as to exactly who is allowed to keep their patio open. It's a new addition to the front window at John's Place in Victoria. A takeout menu, an adjustment for a business trying to survive. It was very sad because of the immediate notice of it. Um, I had to lay off 18 people. In-person dining in British Columbia now against the law. Takeout and delivery allowed. Patios are okay, but only for places with full food service. Leaving cafes, wineries and breweries in a bind. Victoria's Whistlebuoy is considering working with local restaurants to set up outdoors. Potentially be able to work together to be able to come to some sort of a, a win-win solution that they'll be able to operate their kitchens and we'll be able to operate a patio. The formal provincial order still not posted. Questions linger about whether covered patios are okay. There's also pressure on government to help. While it's still unclear how many people are now out of work. There are supports available currently, but the Premier's asked me to find new supports to ensure the businesses that are hardest hit have that. And our goal is to have something by late next week. 
It's not something your minister should have to go look at. They should have announced those measures immediately. Signs popping up at bars and restaurants across the province saying that in-person dining off until April 19th. But the fear is it could actually be much longer. People don't understand is that the suggestion is April 19th. Well, what if it's June? Like, we don't know. They're guessing. So then it's really difficult. It's also something Matt Thompson is worried about. He owns five restaurants, including Cannibal Cafe off Vancouver's Commercial Drive. Felt like I was out of the woods, really. And then now it's like, this is just going to hit really hard. Thompson is now expecting a 50 to 75% drop off in revenues, even with patios. And with dark weeks ahead, one last ask to government. They need to get some money in, in our pockets. They need to get money in the staff's pockets. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Frustration in the Fraser Health region for those trying to use the online registration to book a vaccination. The website is down and now phone lines are jammed. Grace Key is live with more on what's happening here uh, because, Grace, online booking had been working very well in that region. Yeah, and then we started getting calls from folks in the area just with their frustrations. We did speak with one woman, and she was very excited and grateful to have gotten a letter in the mail letting her know that she could go ahead and book an appointment because she's under the clinically extremely vulnerable category. So she and her husband tried making an online appointment last night but couldn't get past the through the first page. Then they tried making an appointment on the phone this morning. After about four-plus hours, the operator eventually told him that there were problems with the system, and at the end of the call, she never got appointment. A little frustrated, not at the person, but that they've rolled this out and yet still maybe not adequate, adequately enough to cover the demand. They've suspended it for today while they're making the transition. And I believe, and uh, I might be informed differently, that uh, it, may, it may be available starting at 7 o'clock tonight in the evenings. So they're going to make that available as they're making the transition uh, towards the new system on April 6th. So as you heard, Fraser Health is going through some maintenance with their system as they transition to that provincial online system that's set to launch at 7 a.m. April 6th. So again, until then, if you live in the Fraser Health area, you're eligible. You can try going uh, to make an appointment on the phone between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. And then 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., that would be online. Uh, and there are some holiday hours that apply as well. The good news is, Sue, the woman that we talked to, she did eventually get an email confirmation this afternoon and she got herself an appointment. Sophie? All right, I'm glad she's able to get her vaccination. Thanks, Grace. Now, let's get an update on today's numbers. We have 840 new cases now. That brings BC's total to just over 99,000. 7,062 of those cases are currently active. 312 people are in hospital, 78 are in the ICU. Some good news today, we've had no new deaths and more than 25,000 vaccinations were administered yesterday. Premier John Horgan is facing backlash for his choice of words, blaming the spike in COVID-19 cases on 20 to 39-year-olds. Some in that demographic are calling Horgan's appeal tone-deaf and unfair. But as Kylie Stanton reports, the Premier is doubling down on his remarks. A lot of us have been commiserating, providing support for one another. Social media and text threads are buzzing today. One topic, so many emotions. Fury. 
hurt. It's kind of like, well, I'm doing my best and you're saying it's not good enough and I'm sacrificing my health and my mental well-being, so it's infuriating, to be honest. Sarah Emmett is among many British Columbians aged 20 to 39 reeling after these comments directed at that demographic were made on Monday. Do not blow this for the rest of us. Do the not- Premier calling them out and placing blame for the recent spike in COVID-19 cases. The cohort from 20 to 39 are not paying as much attention to these broadcasts and, quite frankly, are putting the rest of us in a challenging situation. This video, case in point, capturing a massive party at a big white ski resort restaurant just hours before new restrictions went into effect. This operator decided to put his alcohol and food on sale and obviously the staff that were laid off yesterday showed up and the party raged until the police showed up on scene. But for the large majority of young people who have worked so hard for so long to abide by the restrictions, they're saying it's unfair to be painted with the same brush. It was insulting to to the young people of this province who have given so, so much over these 50 to 54 weeks. Those who fall into this age group have been on the front lines throughout this pandemic, while many others have faced job losses or layoffs. And housing is a constant battle. But the blame game continues. COVID cases are going through the roof, and it's mostly due to folks in our age group. And despite the backlash, even the premier is doubling down, sending out this tweet that reads, I'm trying to catch the attention of the few who refuse to follow public health restrictions. It's really frustrating. Emmett fears that's only going to backfire. The demographic is on the brink as it is. What's the point in trying anymore? Kylie Stanton, Global News. All right, Keith Baldry joins us with more on this controversy. Keith, you do have some new data. Uh, What does it show about the group being called out, these 20 to 39-year-olds? Yeah, so Premier John Horgan is correct, but he's not entirely correct because we're talking about a heck of a lot of people here. More than 1.4 million people fall into these age brackets, and obviously the vast majority are obeying the rules. But the numbers show that John Horgan is correct in terms of who's getting the COVID the most. Take a look at the 3,500-plus cases I examined going into uh, uh, yesterday. You can see that number there in the middle, 1,457, are the people in the age 20 to 39. That's about 41%. Again, the highest uh, uh, age bracket compared Compared to all the others, the older you get, the fewer COVID cases there are. What's interesting, Sophie, is that these percentages have been locked in place more or less since late August. I actually went back today at all the weekly reports, week to week, week in and week out. The 20 to 40 age group is in about 40 to 41, 42 percent. That hasn't changed for months now. So John Horgan's correct in pointing out to that 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 group in particular is getting the most COVID numbers. I actually looked at the 840 today. Guess what? 41 percent of the 840 reported today are in that age group, and it's just simply not changing. Well, it's consistent. We'll give it that. Thanks very <laughs> much, Keith. All right, Squire Barnes joins us now with, I guess, someone else within that 20 to 39 age group, but I don't know. <laughs> 24 years old. We can categorize him in the, the group that John Horgan is targeting. But uh, COVID Canuck News, one player has tested positive, and this might not be the end of it. Well, we'll see if it's the end of it. Uh, we don't know yet, of course, but Adam Gaudet uh, tested positive. Interestingly enough, he actually was at Canucks practice, started the practice, and then they came and took him off the ice saying, you tested positive for COVID. Um, Jake Vertana was also not at practice today, and the Canucks say he was not well, he was not feeling well. 
They didn't say if he tested positive. As far as we know, he tested negative for COVID. So now what has to happen is they'll do contact tracing, just like anybody else who tests positive. We'll see if any more Canucks test positive uh, when the results come in from today's test, either late tonight or tomorrow morning. And as of right now, the game tomorrow night against Calgary is a go. Okay, well, okay. we'll see what happens tomorrow. Things yes. do change <laughs> they can day change by day. Like that. Yeah. All right, thanks, Mark. We'll talk to you in a bit. Well, with ongoing vaccine setbacks, today's announcement that Pfizer is accelerating its vaccine delivery schedule will come as welcome news to Canadians. But concerns still linger over what will happen next with the troubled AstraZeneca vaccine. Ted Chernecki has more. But we're not supposed to. As the Prime Minister elbows his support at an Ottawa vaccination centre, he says the big ramp-up is nigh. After further negotiations, Pfizer-BioNTech has agreed to deliver before June what it previously said would happen by September. The Pfizer vaccine will arrive at a rate of a million doses per week through April. That'll bring our total from 4.6 million to 9.6 million doses for that month alone. Of course, that's in addition to the other doses of the Moderna and AstraZeneca vaccines that we'll also get. An undisclosed amount of Johnson & Johnson's one-shot vaccine has also been confirmed starting at the end of April. And 4.4 million more doses of AstraZeneca should arrive by the end of June. That's the vaccine associated with rare blood clots and is now recommended for patients 55 and older. And it's the vaccine Victoria now says will be available at pharmacies in the Lower Mainland starting tomorrow for anyone aged 55 to 65. I would be very afraid to take it. I put it at the back of my mind because it's a gamble. But I think I would still follow through that if that's what was available to me. Don't listen to the hype. The benefits outweigh the negatives. We want to be transparent and rest Assure to all Canadians that the systems are in place and that the vaccines that will be going out for those for whom they're indicated will be safe and effective. So Ottawa is still confident it can have every Canadian 16 and older who wants one vaccinated with at least one dose by Canada Day. But the virus is mutating and where you might stand in the queue could and likely will change. It has been a strictly age-based program here in British Columbia with some allowances to address hotspots as we saw in Prince Rupert and as we saw, for instance, in Whistler. I think what we might consider now is to vaccinate individuals from the core groups responsible for most of the transmissions. While younger British Columbians, those under 40, may now be driving the sudden surge of COVID variant, that demographic is also the one most employed in the service sector and in closest proximity to the general population. Some of them could be next in line for priority vaccination. Ted Chernecki, Global News. It's an insurance rebate that's hardly worth the paper it's printed on. ICBC promised a better deal for drivers, but some say the payoff is pathetic after receiving checks for a dollar. That's next on the News Hour. How blueberries might hold the key to getting us out of an environmental jam with qualities even better than plastic. That's later on the news hour. And the building blocks of a career, a Canadian man making a living by making Lego on YouTube.
Right now, though, after an initial delay, ICBC customers will be pleased to learn rebate checks are finally being mailed out. Drivers are getting the refund because of the decline in crashes during the pandemic. But one customer is speaking out tonight after receiving a check for significantly less than she was expecting. Catherine Urquhart shows us why the woman is calling it a waste of money. So here's the uh, check for the $1 amount. Here's the letter that came along with it. Sherry O'Neill is in disbelief after receiving a COVID-19 rebate check from ICBC. That check for just $1. It's just a waste. It's two pieces of paper. It's an envelope. It's the ink. It's the time that that took to prepare it. Like it's, uh, I'd rather just have $1 credit when I go to renew my insurance. After Sherry tweeted about it, ICBC responded saying, we're committed to ensuring customers receive all the savings owed to them. As part of this commitment, we will be issuing refund checks for any amount of $1 or more. This approach is a change from our historical practice of not issuing checks for $5 or less. Getting a check for $1 in the mail is absurd. <laughs> We'd be really surprised to see if this happened anywhere else in Canada, but unfortunately it's happening here with ICBC and it's kind of embarrassing. As for how many checks under $5 are being mailed out, ICBC won't say. Their response? ICBC estimates that 0.2% of checks will have a value of $1 and... It is more efficient for ICBC to issue a check as part of a proactive refund process than to have customers call us to request a low-dollar check. I think they have to put a little bit more thought into this. It's, uh, it, it's, just, it, it's a huge waste of resources that could go someplace else. Rebates were supposed to average $190 after $600 million was saved due to the pandemic. As for Sherry's check, she doubts she'll even cash it. A trip to the bank for a loony, hardly worth it. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Up next, one of the heroes in the North Van stabbing. Our immediate response was to let's go see if there's anybody else that needs help. How he and his partner stepped in to comfort victims. And communication breakdown, why Canadians are complaining more than most about their digital services. Crews are still on scene to an earlier fire here in North Vancouver, and it looks like Lonsdale is going to remain shut down overnight between 13th Street and Keith Road. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above an earlier structure fire in North Vancouver. A 19-year-old man injured in what appears to have been a hit and run in Burnaby has now died. The incident happened just after midnight last Friday on McPherson Avenue at Marine Drive. Police believe it all started with a confrontation between occupants of three vehicles. No arrest has been made, but RCMP are looking for a silver 2002 to 2006 Nissan Altima, similar to this one, with body damage. Police say family and friends are devastated and are hoping the public can provide more information. We are learning more about the horrifying stabbing spree in North Vancouver on Saturday that killed one woman and injured six other people. Global's Amadagahi spoke to more witnesses today, including a woman who was in the ER as the victims were brought in. It just breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. <sighs> For three days now, Melanie Kaponen has carried with her perhaps 
the same emotions felt by an entire community. I'm just overwhelmed. I just, it doesn't make sense to me. The violent, senseless, and random attack in Lynn Valley over the weekend is still fresh on many minds, especially those who found themselves in the middle of the chaotic aftermath. When we saw her with covered in blood, we said we have to stop. I think those were the words we used, we have to stop. Like Steve Mossop, who jumped out of his car to help an injured woman who was bleeding with her son in her arms. And Deepak Sharma who was one of the first people to find and help 22-year-old Emma Henderson, who had suffered multiple stab wounds to her face. Her courage in those moments still brings him to tears. Based off Emma's reaction, she was actually stronger than anyone else around her at that time. It is very clear in the midst of devastation, there was no shortage of heroism on that Saturday afternoon. I saw red all up his arms and I was like what is that and then I realized oh my god it's blood this woman was a hospital patient who saw many of the stabbing victims and first responders rushing to Lionsgate Hospital including a firefighter who was in a hurry and they were saying to him you know do you want a decontamination shower and he was like can't I need to wash up I need a sink I have to go back to scene there are more victims the accused knife-wielding attacker Yannick Bandalgo is in a North Vancouver jail cell, charged with second-degree murder of a woman in her 20s. Six others were also stabbed that day. No one's in a rush to remove what surely must now be hundreds of bouquets of flowers and the messages written at the memorial, but the plaza is slowly starting to get back to normal and tomorrow for the first time since this tragic event the Lynn Valley Library will open to the public. Amadagahi, Global News. Coming up, a holy period put on hold. The gathering is so important for emotional, spiritual health. The flip-flop for in-person services putting a strain on places of worship. And coming up in sports, the mystery injury that's kept Canucks star Elias Pettersson out of the lineup for a month now. As the evening commute winds down over here at the Patello Bridge, traffic is in good shape in both directions, just seeing pockets of volume south through the Queen's Park stretch. Kermac Collision and Auto Glass provides no-cost windshield chip repairs with your insurance coverage, and Kermac donates 100% of their income from chip repairs through Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. With more people working from home, internet complaints are up during COVID, according to Canada's telecom mediator. Our consumer reporter, Andrewa, is here with more from the mid-year report, including two big phone providers seeing a spike in unsatisfied customers. Anne? That's right, Sophie. The Commission for Complaints for Telecom TV Services, the national independent organization which resolves consumer disputes, is reporting a 6% increase in complaints in the six months from August through January. Final complaints Complaints are up more than 45% over year, while Rogers' complaints jumped 24%. Bell complaints are down more than 17%. Tele's complaints also dropped by 7.5%. Wireless service generated the most grievances, followed by internet, TV, and phone. With many Canadians working and studying at home during the pandemic, the CCTS saw a 50% surge in issues related to internet, service quality, the main consumer concerns, disclosure issues involving a mismatch between what the customer was expecting and what they received. The best advice? Read through any potential contract carefully before signing.
that was the single most complained about issue was, you know, I didn't understand that they could be this or that, or I didn't get what I bargained for. When I saw my contract, it was different from what, you know, the agent on the phone told me I was getting to make sure you are entirely comfortable with the deal that's uh, described in those documents. And if you're not sure about it, contact the provider. We, we live in a country where in most regions, uh, the marketplace is competitive. And maybe uh, if they're not prepared to give you a straight answer, you should look elsewhere. Now, Bell Canada received 20.3% of all telecom complaints, down 5.6% from 2019 to 2020. Rogers saw its proportion of all complaints jump 2% to just over 13%. Fido received 10.3% of all complaints, up 2.8%, while Telus saw 7.1% of all complaints, a 1% reduction year over year. The CCTS says almost 9 out of 10 pandemic complaints were resolved. Rogers and Fido told us they're committed to delivering the best experience for customers in every interaction, and they are continuing to listen to customers using their feedback to improve. And if you have a consumer for issue, issue for me, rather, you can reach me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thank you for that, Anne. Well, people of all faiths are struggling to deal with Monday's abrupt about-face by the government. Just five days after Dr. Bonnie Henry announced some indoor services could resume, they've been shut down again just a few days before the holiest part of the year for many. Nadia Stewart reports. The absence of religious services does not mean the work churches do in the community comes to a halt. Every day throughout this pandemic, members of this Sikh temple in Surrey continue to feed upwards of 800 people by way of this food truck. But feeding the body is one thing. It's the heart that's still hungry. Now it's so long. It's a, almost just a one year. So people want to come to the prayer. Narinder Singh Walia says people understand the need for safety and will comply with the sudden change in rules. But he says the inconsistency is raising questions about what else should be closed if safety is indeed the top priority. You can go in the Costco, you can go in the Walmart, you can go in the superstore. Every store is full of the pupils. If they really want save the pupils, they have to stop everything, not only religious places. For three churches in the Lower Mainland, the fight to keep their doors open went all the way to the Supreme Court. Their case was dismissed. The lawyer representing them tells Global News they're considering all of their options, which includes whether or not to appeal the decision. Uh, have a, a variance as well for indoor religious services. For but there was excitement within the religious community when Dr. Bonnie Henry made this announcement late last week, particularly for Christians with Easter being the hallmark of their faith. The reality is we know that it's a balance between curtailing our rights and protecting our neighbors. Pastor Derek Henry says there was disappointment. Like everyone else, Christian Life Assembly has pivoted to online services. Henry agrees gathering is important. He and his congregation are leaning on their faith to help them get through. If Good Friday is about anything. It's about Jesus curtailing his rights for the benefit of the world. So we're just trying to follow that example. Nadia Stork, Global News. 
In Health Matters tonight, a report by the World Health Organization says it's extremely unlikely that a lab leak is responsible for the COVID-19 pandemic. But the team's leader says they were unable to reach a firm conclusion because Chinese authorities didn't give them access to raw lab data. Of course it's possible and therefore it's also part of, uh, of the conclusions in the report that it's not impossible uh, that could have happened. But we haven't seen or been able to uh, to 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 hear or see or look at uh, anything that would uh, warrant a different conclusions from our side. The long-awaited report says the coronavirus was transmitted from bats to humans through another animal. Investigators also say it was perfectly possible that COVID-19 cases were circulating around Wuhan in October or November of 2019, potentially leading to the disease spreading abroad earlier than was previously thought. Coming up, a new use for blueberries that'll blow your mind. UBC researchers turning the superfood into a substitute for plastic wrap. And later, the Lego sensation from Edmonton, who's building quite a reputation on YouTube. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC, brought to you in part by the BCTF, our kids and their teachers, worth investing in. BC researchers are developing a potentially game-changing product for grocery stores. They're using the unique properties of blueberries to make a non-plastic wrap that does much more than keep food fresh. Linda Aylesworth reports. British Columbia is one of the top producers of blueberries in the world. We grow nearly 200 tonnes of them annually, which is good for our economy and our health. Blueberries are rich in antioxidants and fibres, uh, which, which is why it is very good uh, for your health. But Dr. Anupo Pratap Singh, who specializes in food processing at UBC, isn't so much interested in the fresh plump berries as in what they become after the juicing process. How we can valorize the uh, waste products of the blueberry industry and convert them uh, into uh, products that can be consumed by humans. When blueberries are crushed to extract juice, you're left with a waste product called blueberry pomace, which is rich in antioxidants and fibers but has little market value. The use Dr. Pratap Singh has in mind? So there is a possibility of incorporating these blueberry pomaces into various packaging films. Sustainable packaging film that could be used to preserve produce during shipping and at the store. He started with dissolved tapioca starch, then mixed in a little blueberry pomace, and found that it gave the film improved properties over starch alone. They will increase not only the shelf life of the product, but they will also increase the shelf life of the package itself. That's because the antioxidants in the pomace help the film block the ultraviolet rays that cause degradation. And as an added bonus, they also seeped out of the film and into the food. This means that uh, you can get the benefits of uh, blueberries uh, without even eating blueberries uh, by, by just eating a product uh, which is coated with this film. Or eat the film as well. Getting rid of plastic in the produce section could open a whole new world of possibilities. Cucumbers and zucchini, uh, it is like you, you, you buy them with the plastic film and then you take that film out and then you eat them. But it would be nice just to buy them and chop them and eat them along with the packaging. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. 
Edible packaging. I wonder if they would taste like blueberry-flavored cucumbers. It might. I'm all, all over right. that. Oh, look at those beautiful cherry blossoms. That's right. Feeling like spring across our region. This is East Vancouver today. And check this out. Near Sandwich, Sandwich sorry, Darlene uh, captured a shot of a couple trying to get a swim in. And it's a whole bunch different in through the prairies. This was Saskatoon yesterday. Sorry. I, oh, yes, yeah, Saskatoon yesterday. Uh, when we uh, look at the March conditions in through the prairies, they can have massive swings. Look at Winnipeg yesterday, 19 degrees. And in 12 hours later this morning, 11 minus 11. So a drop in 30 degrees. That's one of the largest drops in temperature in that time period that they have ever experienced. So we're very lucky here in BC. We are going to see a change though as we head towards our Thursday. Still one more day of sunshine, although we'll start to see increasing cloud later in the day tomorrow. So rainfall for the North Coast tomorrow and it shifts down into our region on Thursday. But it's only about a 30 to 40 percent chance of shower. So it's not a soaker at all. Here's a look at your forecast for your Wednesday. There's the rainfall for the North Coast region. Most of the rest of the province enjoying sunshine, including our region. Look at the double-digit conditions in through the interior. And for our region, we'll warm up to about 15 degrees away from the water. So we'll see a range in temperature across Metro Vancouver before the showers push in on Thursday. Easter Sunday so far is looking a little unsettled. We'll refine that as we get a little bit closer. Here's your central windows weather window for today. Just yesterday, Yesterday, Mount Seymour, a great shot of the blue sky there and getting a little exercise. And good social distancing. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks for that, Christy. Squires here now. What's happening? The Canucks? Well, we'll talk more about Adam Gaudet's situation and uh, another Canuck who is still missing, and this has nothing to do with COVID, is Elias Pettersson. Not a, not a real update on, uh, on Petey. Uh, still skating on his own. But when can he get back skating with the other Canucks? That's a question that doesn't have a definitive answer yet, does it, Pedersen? No. <laughs> He's looking at you. Also tonight, a Lego genius building a career brick by brick on YouTube. Get it to the set just in time. <laughs> I had to go up for something. I forgot something upstairs, so I had to bring it back. Um, Adam Gaudet got called off the ice at practice today to be told that he had tested positive for COVID-19. Now, what happens after a player tests positive is the same sample is tested again to see if it still shows positive. Now, we haven't heard what the, uh, the case is with that second test. But in the meantime, contact tracing begins to see if anyone around him should be quarantined. Now, we should tell you Jake Vertanen was not at practice today, and the Canucks said he wasn't feeling well. However, he did not test positive. The team, incidentally, is tested every day. Now, the game against Calgary tomorrow night is still on for now, and all the Canucks can do following this positive test is follow the NHL's guidelines. We'll uh, follow the NHL protocol on that. Uh, Our players get tested every day. And... um, Obviously, we've been tested this morning, and we'll see how those test results come back uh, when we get them back. Now, also not at practice today was Elias Pettersson, but that has been the case for almost a month. Uh, thanks to Thatcher Demko, the Canucks have won the majority of their games without EP40, but the offense has clearly suffered without him, and the Canucks still don't really know when he'll be back. Miller in deep for Elias Pettersson. Going on the limited information that Jim Benning and Travis Green have passed on, this second period shift 
against the Winnipeg Jets on March 1st appears to be when Elias Pettersson suffered his injury. As he was twisting around, Pettersson took an aggressive stick to the inner thigh groin area. And as you can clearly see, he was in immediate discomfort. We're getting close to a month now that he hasn't played. The severity of his injury, Travis, was it more serious than you thought? And how far along is he in his recovery now? Uh, definitely was more serious than we thought originally. Um, you know, he played a game, uh, kind of felt it a little bit, and, uh, you know, we didn't think it was going to be this long. It hasn't hasn't gotten any better there to a point where he can play yet. And, uh, you know, I still think he's probably going to be out for a few more games here at least. Pedersen has been skating on his own, but being out a couple more games means the earliest Petey could rejoin his teammates would be Sunday in Winnipeg. He's now missed 11 straight games, and even though the Canucks went on a winning streak early on without him, they've now lost three in a row in games where they've been outscored 14-5. to So yes, Petey is dearly missed, and the Canucks need him the most right now. Are you concerned, Travis, that he may need surgery and he may be shut down for the season, seeing how it's going longer, and does it sound like it's getting better, according to you? Um... No, not yet. Uh, we, th we feel like he's going to make a, a recovery. Okay, the Habs are back after having four of their games postponed because of COVID protocol. They're taking on Edmonton, who might be a bit burned out from that game last night against Toronto. So burned out, they allowed a goal in the first 18 seconds. Yes, Perry Kotkaniemi. That makes it one nothing for Montreal. Then before the four-minute mark, it's 2-0 Montreal. Arturi Lekkanen scoring there. Carey Price gets the shutout, and Montreal moves a little further ahead of the Canucks and the Calgary Flames. Kelowna Rockets and Kamloops Blazers game tonight postponed. Someone on the Kelowna hockey staff tested positive for COVID-19, but no Rocket players have tested positive at this time. The uh, three Whitecap players who were with the uh, senior men's qualifying team for Canada and the five on the Olympic qualifying team are all heading to the Whitecaps' temporary home in Utah. The rest of the Caps, who are practicing today at UBC, will meet them on Friday. Then they'll fly to Utah, and the whole group will be together, and their first practice will be on Saturday, and they'll play their first exhibition game next Tuesday. Roger Goodell and the NFL finally got what it's wanted for years. They will add an extra regular season game this season. Instead of four exhibition games and 16 regular season games, it'll be 3X games, and 17 games for real. The Seahawks extra game is going to be against the Steelers, but it'll be in Pittsburgh. The uh, players agreed to this because of more money, of course. Uh, Goodell also said that the NFL is hoping to play all games this season in front of full stadiums, as long as local governments agree to it. Now, last year, some teams played to small groups of fans. Some didn't. The Seahawks Never had fans, for example. You might remember the Super Bowl allowed 15% of the stadium to be full. But the NFL feels by September, everybody down south will be vaccinated and they'll be able to play in front of full stadiums. We'll see. All right. Thanks, Squire. Let's check in with Jada Rant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. JD. Thank you, Sophie. We'll have more on the fact people aged 55 to 65 in Metro Vancouver can now line up for their vaccines starting tomorrow. Plus, a man is facing charges in connection with this violent confrontation at an anti-mask event in East Vancouver over the weekend. And follow today from a very non-COVID-friendly blowout party at a BC ski resort yesterday. What the resort is saying about what happened. Those stories and more coming up tonight at 11. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Jay. Up next, how an Edmonton man turned child's play into a lucrative career with Lego. 
an Edmonton man has taken his hobby and, brick by brick, built a career many can only dream about. Global Sarah Ryan gives us an inside look at his Lego success. At 24 years old, Jordan Forsyth picked up Lego as an escape. When I originally started collecting Lego, I was working a high-stress job. And I loved Lego because I could go home from work, open up a set, uh, just sort of escape from reality. Slowly, he started turning his passion into something more. It definitely takes a lot of effort. It doesn't come easy. Uh, it didn't happen overnight for me. Known online as Brixie, Forsyth says he was working 50-hour weeks at his full-time job and then would spend hours more each day creating content for his YouTube channel. I talk about everything Lego, essentially. I, I buy Lego, I build Lego, I review it. Uh, I do a lot of vlog-style videos. In August, he quit his day job and dove into the pile of Lego head first, making money from online ads on YouTube. That was pretty scary. I mean, uh, there's definitely a lot of uncertainty in it. And you're not guaranteed. You're essentially self-employed. It's essentially like working a commission job. Brixie's content is most popular among American men between the ages of 25 and 45. His fans around the world often send gifts, including this monster. This one here unfolding is from 2011. This is the Lego Star Wars UCS or Ultimate Collector's Series Super Star Destroyer from Star Wars. And it's pretty special. This one here, I got when I hit 100,000 subscribers. Forsyth says his wife ensures the Lego stays in the basement where it's taken over 800 square feet. Behind me here, we have my Lego city. This is where I have all of my city buildings. There's also an amusement park, a downtown core, and you can't see the far end over there, but there's a beach, an ocean, a campground and all that. Despite the obvious fun, Forsyth says it takes eight to 10 hours each day to create and manage videos and social media, but he wouldn't trade Brixie for anything. I'm definitely going to be a Lego fan for life and a YouTuber for life. Sarah Ryan, Global News. <laughs> Somebody, if you know Christy Gordon's cell phone number, just call her right now. No, do not call. <laughs> I made the mistake of bringing my phone down to the studio. You think these people would know when you're working? I know. Well, you would be amazed. My <laughs> husband calls me right in the middle of a show sometimes. So does my parents. <laughs> Christy's busy right now. How does it look tomorrow, Christy? Uh, we've got another great day on the way tomorrow. So enjoy the sunshine and warmth, everyone. <laughs> That's all the time we have. Thanks for joining us tonight. Have a good night.